All right, I, I want to see Glenn actually lead with his guitar. We were laughing last night, Glenn and I, saying we should have taken piano, we should have paid attention in piano lessons back in the day. Uh, that's not something... I took the basketball route rather than the uh, musical route. Uh, you can see where basketball got me, not really far, so I should have done the music route. Uh, here's where we're headed. Do you, do you remember we, we talked about love is a four-letter word, a four-letter phrase. Love is uh, always has to do with longevity. Uh, I think as Christians, sometimes what we do with love is we make it really short term. We, we're not in it for the long play. Uh, I, I won't talk about my Oilers or the Flames, but you know, like, to love the Oilers, there's a lot of longevity and pain in that. Today we're going to talk about openness. Like, how, how, how do we actually have open hearts when it comes to, to love? And then we're, we talk about next week, love is our vocation, it's our job. Like, as Christ followers, that's it. It, that's our job. And then uh, we're, we're going to talk about the final one on Father's Day, talking about love is a way that we show the world who Jesus is, evangelism. Um, do you remember this from last week? It's going to be on the screen. Ho- uh, hopefully you remember this. If you haven't been uh, with us last week, I'd encourage you to to check out the, the podcast that we have here or check out Renfrew, uh, the online uh, there's three things we talked about last week when we talk about longevity, and we love this from from Moses. Moses declared this, God, teach me your ways. I need to know your way, God, to actually keep growing or following. Then the, the second one is, God, actually, let me know you. Let me know who you actually are. There's a direct connection between knowing the ways of God and knowing himself and knowing God himself. And then the third thing that, that Moses proclaimed was, Lord, let me live in your favor. You know, once you know God's ways and once you know God personally, then the favor of God can and will rest on your life. So how did you do last week? Now, this week, I'm going to introduce you to a biblical character. Anytime we introduce biblical characters, the interesting piece is in the Old Testament, a lot of times they have crazy names. So I'm not going to try to butcher the name continually. I'll just kind of give them an abbreviation. You'll see that that makes sense. The cool thing with the Old Testament, and sometimes what we do is we struggle with the Old Testament because there's like crazy stories in it and there's a lot of history attached to it. If you don't have the Old Testament, like if you don't study the Old Testament, then you devalue the cross. Because the Old Testament points us to who Jesus is. So the Old Testament is constantly telling us about a rescuer, a restorer, a reconciler. And so the, I'd encourage you, if you've never done this, that you study the Old Testament. Just take some time, understand the Old Testament, because you'll suddenly see the cross gets way bigger. The cross isn't just kind of a story that appears. Uh, The cross isn't something that we kind of go, well, there was no other solution, so God just kind of whipped out the cross. No, the cross was always there. 
In Genesis 3 through, you know, Genesis 22, we, we see themes about the preparation of Jesus. In Genesis 22, when Abraham uh, was going to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, we understand that God stopped him because God was going to be the only one that sacrificed his son. So we start to see Jesus all the way in Genesis. And so Genesis, through uh, all the Old Testament, we start to see, wow, there's a God who actually is working to restore. Now, here's the character today, okay? So I'm going to say it once, and I'll butcher it, and then we can all laugh and go from there. So it's meh fib o sheth Mephibosheth, okay? So we're not going to say it again because it'll come out 22 different ways today. Now, many of us come to church. We might come regularly. We might come kind of infrequently, but many of us come to church and we start to think about ourselves and we, in that thinking about ourselves, we might get a little insecure. We might feel like we know all kinds of biblical stories we can remember sitting on the ground in Sunday school, looking at the flannel graph, all the biblical characters were always in house coats. Uh, and, and we might know this, the stories, but the interesting thing with the living Word of God is those stories actually show us today who we're really like. And those stories have the same hindrances with the characters that maybe you and I have. You know, Mephibosheth, story is an unlikely one. And you're going to see some unlikely pieces. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And here's what the Bible says. And remember, and I say this every week, anytime we read God's Word, we need to throw ourselves into the story. We need to see what it says about God and what it says about us. So here's what it says in Second Samuel 4, verse 4. Samuel's son, Jonathan, had a son named, there's the fun, the fun name, he was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. All right, so just pause for a second. It's very important to understand just the power of this story, this little verse. King Saul. You remember King Saul. He's the king of Israel. He's the current king. His son is Jonathan. It's important to remember that the character Mephibosheth who is Jonathan's son, was Saul's grandson. Now David, remember David, David was going to replace King Saul. So imagine that you're five years old. You're just simply out playing in the courtyard. You're having a fun day with your friends. The palace doors burst open. People start screaming they're hollering, they're yelling. And as a five-year-old, you might think, what's going on? And they say that your dad and your granddad, your grandpa, have been killed in battle. 
Now, if you're five years old, that's a bad way to start the day. But it gets even worse. Now, everyone's in a panic because they've been waiting for David to assume power. Now, that would have been a problem in this monarchy because any time in any monarchy that family lines change, what happens to the old family? Some of us will know this. They become eradicated. (laughs) They kill them off. And so here, the five-year-old kid is struggling, wondering what's going on because he's not the heir to the throne. So everyone is screaming. Everyone's freaking out. They think they're going to kill all the family members. His dad's been killed. His grandpa's been killed. So we have the character. Mephibosheth. See, there we go. We're getting crazy names now. He's five years old. He's sitting there going, my grandpa, my dad, they're both dead. Now, if you were five years old, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, what's the solution? What, what's going to happen? But maybe you start to remember that David and Jonathan are actually really good friends. Maybe you're thinking, David will be a hero to me. So, our little five-year-old boy is understanding my dad's dead. He's been killed in battle. My grandpa's dead. David's coming. And maybe people are starting to say, you should make a run for it. Look at, look at verse 4 again. The nurse picks him up. This is verse 5. Begins to run as they continue in verse 4. She drops him. And what happens to the kid? He breaks both his legs. Five years old, they pick him back up. They don't have time to splint him. They don't have time to get a stretcher. It's a mess. They run this kid, this five-year-old kid, out to a place called Lodabar. And we'll talk about Lodabar in a second. Now, just think about this for a second. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life? Things start crumbling all around you. David, who he thought he could trust, is now going to try to come and kill him. He gets his legs broke. They pick him up. They whisk him away. His whole world at five years old has been flipped upside down. Have you ever had one of those moments? You know, you're sitting in your home and everything's fine, everything's good, then all of a sudden the doctor gives you a phone call and gives you a report that you didn't expect. Or one day you were healthy and the next day you woke up and you're not so healthy. Maybe one day someone that you trusted suddenly lets you down. Maybe it was a relationship that you thought would go the distance and it crumbled all around you. In a short amount of time, this five-year-old's kid world's completely changed. And now the interesting thing with Scripture is we always don't get a daily account, and for years and years, nothing happens. The kid doesn't get healed. He doesn't get helped. He's just broken. 
Now, if you have your Bibles, I, I, I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. But one day the Bible says this. One day, King David proclaims, Is there anyone, is there anyone left in the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness for my best friend Jonathan's sake? Now, Based off of what we know from history, the killing off that a monarchy, a new monarchy, a new regime brings, that's a pretty weird statement. It's kind of interesting. It's one of those interesting pieces in the, the biblical account. Now, let's understand our context here. You see, Jonathan and David are really, really, really good friends. At one point in Scripture, what had happened was David had been anointed by an old prophet, Old Testament prophet named Samuel. Jonathan, the kid to King Saul, was aware of this. The anointing was that David would become king of Israel. And Jonathan actually believed it. And so he talked to David. Jonathan talked to David and said this, Listen, when you become king... David, when you become king, would you show kindness to my family? Because remember, it wouldn't be a good thing for the king, for, for, for Jonathan if the royal line changed. So Jonathan looks at his friend David in a serious moment and says, would you show kindness to me and my family? And David proclaimed back to him, his friend, as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and your family. So he made this promise, or what biblical terms would call it, a covenant. And the Bible records this in Second Samuel 9, that this is the one day. Perhaps it was the same time of the year where David had lost Jonathan. Maybe it was something that tweaked in David's mind. But for whatever reason, David proclaims that, that simple verse. Is there anyone left? Is there anyone left in King Saul's family that I could show kindness to? Now, get ready. Here's where the story turns a little bit. So they, they summon this guy named Ziba, who is one of Saul's servants, and they ask him a question. And Ziba responds to King David and says this. Well, yes, there's one of Jonathan's kids, one of Jonathan's sons, who's still alive, but he's crippled in both feet. He kind of pushes him aside and says, well, you don't really want that kid. Why would he do that? Because you see in, in this day and age and in this culture, to have broken legs, there was nothing of value for him. So society simply would push him away and consider him a burden. Now we understand that's not the case today. Because we know that any physical limitation that, that is placed upon us has no ability to wreck or destroy what God's ability is to work through us. God always works through us in our weakness. Yeah, but you know there's that one, but you don't really want to mess with him. 
This is not the response that David gives, though. He says, well, well, where is he? I want this kid. Ziba replies, well, he's out in Lodabar. At the house of Makir is where he is. And David says, well, go get him. Now, here's an interesting piece of, of biblical kind of context. Lodabar was a place that meant a place of no bread. It was arid, it was dry, it was a desolate place. It was a way, a place way out in no man's land. And they, they wanted to kill him, so they pick him up and they take him to this place, this desolate place called Lodabar, a place of no bread. In fact, it's interesting in First Chronicles chapter 8 that in the genealogy of King Saul, Mephibosheth was not actually even his name. His given name was Meribal, which meant an opponent of Baal. Now we might remember Baal was an Old Testament false god, so as it was is as if his father Jonathan named his son Meribal, saying, You are of royal lineage, you are an opponent of false gods, you are stavely, you are royal, you are my son Meribal. But guess what his name got changed to? That name, Mephibosheth, means son of shame. Or, worse off, shameful thing. So you can imagine this. Five years old, you lose your father, you lose your grandfather, your legs are broken, Those that you thought you could trust, you can't. You're taken away from the palace. You're left out in some place called Lodabar. And your name is changed from an opponent of Baal and Meribal to Mephibosheth. You're a son of shame. So Mephibosheth lived many, many years out in Lodabar. Unfortunately, we don't know how many years that was. The Bible isn't very clear on that. We do know that he's grown up. He's not a little kid anymore. He's grown up and he's out there. And Ziba comes to his door and knocks and says, Hey, it's Ziba. I'm here from the palace. King David wants to see you. Now, is this a good day for Mephibosheth? Is he like, well, sweet, I've been waiting for this moment. Nope. He has that sudden suspicion of fear, the worry, the terror. King David is coming to kill me. Or maybe he's frustrated at King David going, you know what, if you weren't in line to be the king... I wouldn't be in this desolate place. It's King David's fault that I'm a fugitive. It's King David's fault that my legs are broken. It's David, and now he wants me dead. I knew it was coming. I want you to look in your Bibles again at 2 Samuel chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan. Now listen to this. I will give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you, Mephibosheth, will actually eat with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? What a terrible thing to say about yourself. A dead dog. But then we almost see why, because right here in the next verse it says, All of these years of hiding had made Mephibosheth think that he was worthless. Friends, have you ever found yourself at a place where you found or felt like you're, youth, you're worthless? Or maybe that you're not worthy of something. Or maybe you felt inadequate for the job that God's been calling you to. You see, for Mephibosheth in this moment, as he's receiving this blessing from King David, everything that he believed, everything that he had known, everything that he internalized about King David had been wrong. He had to be confused. He had to be trying to figure out what was going on. He maybe was just bowing and waiting, knowing coming to this palace, just waiting for the sword to come across his neck. But it didn't happen. And friends, in the same way, many of us find ourselves maybe spiritually in that same place like Mephibosheth in Lodabar. It's a desolate place. It's a place where spiritually it feels dead. And maybe for years we've begun to internalize and, and believe these things about God that aren't really true. Maybe you've thought, oh, I think he's mad at me because I haven't been doing what I probably should be doing for him. Or, you know what? He's mad at me. That God's mad at me. And I know he's upset. And I know that just in time, the hammer's going to come on my head. Maybe you've carried that guilt for many, many years for something that wasn't even your fault. But for some reason, you carry this guilt and you think that God is upset with you or angry with you. Friends, I'm here to tell you that is just wrong. You see, in the same way that David had an unlikely and different outcome for Mephibosheth, God's desire is always to bless you. To bring you a hope and a future. It's a twist in this story. All of a sudden for Mephibosheth. Now it's important to note here that at this point David says to Zibab, Ziba, come here, I'm going to give Mephibosheth the master's garden, all of his land. I'm going to give king. Think about this, friends. He gives Mephibosheth all of King Saul's land. He could have given him just a little garden over in the corner. He gives him everything that belonged to his grandfather who was king. And David says to Ziba, 
Oh, you and your household, all 35 of you and your servants are now actually going to serve Mephibosheth. I love this in verse 11. Look back at your Bibles. The Bible says, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. You can't make this stuff up. How about that? The kid from five having all that junk stuff happen to him, all those terrible things, suddenly is redeemed, restored, reconciled. Do you see Jesus in there? We love the ending of the story. We love it when we see someone who really didn't deserve that, who's gotten a hard deal and all of a sudden ends up being restored and almost vindicated. We're like, yes. We love stories of mercy and redemption. Why do we love those stories? Because these types of stories... The story of Mephibosheth and this little boy who had this terrible beginning ends with a beautiful ending. That story is etched on the DNA of our souls because we're all like Mephibosheth. You see, the the story of Mephibosheth is a true story from the Old Testament that is an allegory of what Christ has done for you and me. What do you mean I'm Mephibosheth? I want you to write this down in your phones or remember it in your minds. How are we like Mephibosheth? Well, the very first thing is we're always fallen and broken. Maybe we're not fallen and broken physically, but every one of us in this room has fallen and broken spiritually. You see, in Romans 3.23, The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. In the same way that Mephibosheth had fallen and was broken, we too are fallen and broken. We can't even begin to love God. But here's the second thing, and this is the greatest thing about this story. Mephibosheth wasn't just left there. You and I are pursued by the king just as Mephibosheth was pursued by King David. We're pursued by the king. Not a king that's here on earth that can grant us land or give us some wealth or material possessions. We're pursued by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're pursued by Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 17, right after that familiar verse that we know for for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, it says this, God did not send His Son to condemn the world. Isn't that the story of Mephibosheth? He sent His Son so that He could save the world through him. And the same truth is true for all of us. Mephibosheth was pursued by King David. You and I are pursued by the King of Kings. We're fallen, we're broken, but we're pursued by the King of Kings. In verse 11, back to Mephibosheth. 
The Bible says this, that he ate regularly at the table, the king's table, like one of the king's son. When he sat at the king's table, it's important for us to understand this. He sat there crippled. He sat there in his broken condition with his legs hanging underneath him. But his legs were covered by the king's table. And when people looked at Mephibosheth, they didn't see a broken young man anymore. They saw someone who had great power, who was in a great position, who had been given access by the king. They saw someone who sat there like one of the king's son. In the same way, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the sacrifice of Jesus. His blood was shed for us. It covers our spiritually broken condition. And we're made whole. We're made complete at the King's table because the sacrifice of Jesus covers our sins in the same way that the table covered Mephibosheth's broken condition. You see, we're made whole. We're made complete. Underneath the power of Jesus' sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins, we're made like one of the king's own sons. You see, you might think that you're broken, that you're useless. And God says that you're chosen and invited to this table. Luke chapter 22. Jesus said this, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table. And to be a part of my kingdom. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13. We'll end with this great verse. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem at home and ate regularly at the king's table. You could insert your own name there, friends. And Matt who is broken, now eats regularly at the king's table. Because you see, we're all fallen. We're all broken. We're all pursued by the king of kings. And the king's table, thank God it covers our sin. And even though that we might feel like we're broken and we're useless, God says that we're chosen and invited. And that, my friends, is something to be thankful for. So today, love is open. How open are you to receive His love? How open are you to actually share His love? Let me pray and then we'll go into some more songs of worship. Let me pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. God, in the next few minutes as we sing songs about you, We pray that the words would not just be words that are on a screen, but they're words that would touch our heart. God, how cool to think that you were using stories in the Old Testament to show us about your son. We thank you for a character like Mephibosheth and King David who shows us that On a human level, that is uncalled for and amazing, but on a spiritual level, it is beyond what we could ever imagine or dream of. 
Thank you for being the king who pursues us. We ask all this in your name. Amen.